Welcome to Seeking Scripture Deep Diving Bible Study. I'm Christy Jordan, and I want to help you develop a firsthand relationship with the whole Word of God. For links and graphics mentioned in my podcast, please visit the corresponding post on SeekingScripture.com. May Yahweh bless the reading of His Word. Good morning, siblings. Today's readings are Jeremiah chapters 32 through 34. What a wonderful day this is to dive into the Word with some of my favorite people. Rabbit Trails We open to find Jeremiah imprisoned, essentially because King Zedekiah didn't like what Yahweh told Jeremiah to say. And Jeremiah still said it. Everybody wants their ears tickled. Side note, if you think Jeremiah was a rebel, wait till we read about Messiah in context. Then we see a cousin coming to visit him in prison, as Yahweh had told him would happen, and offered Jeremiah land. So here's something else that's going on. Recall back in Leviticus 25, we see that Yahweh had given this land to his people, and they were not allowed to sell it outside of their own bloodline. So Jeremiah's cousin was offering Jeremiah rights to purchase the land, known as redemption rights. Essentially, this tells us that his cousin was probably in debt and needed to get out, so he offered his land to Jeremiah as a way to accomplish this while also keeping the land within the family. What was the significance of this? While Yahweh had clearly stated that he was going to allow the Babylonians to capture Jerusalem and Judah, this was also a reinforcement of his promise that he would again see his people settled in his land. Jeremiah purchasing this land demonstrated proof and faith in that promise of Yahweh. And this also explains why it was done so publicly with many witnesses. Jeremiah 32 verses 31 through 35 tells us some of what these people did to anger Yahweh so much. That passage reads, This city has aroused my anger and wrath from the day it was built to this day so that I will remove it from my sight because of all the evil of the children of Israel and the children of Judah that they did to provoke me to anger, their kings and their officials, their priests and their prophets, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They have turned to me their back and not their face. And though I have taught them persistently, they have not listened to receive instruction. They set up their abominations in the house that is called by my name to defile it. Now, note that this group includes leaders, kings, officials, priests, and prophets. These were the very people who would have had the most access to and familiarity with the word of Yahweh, which was carefully kept on scrolls during that time. They would have been raised reading it, being taught from it, and hearing it. And what did they do? They turned from him. They had been taught persistently, and they refused to listen or be instructed in any way other than their own. They set up their abomination in houses called by his name, what we would think of as churches today. This serves as a warning to us. Do we have anything in our churches that can be considered an idol in Yahweh's eyes, a golden calf of sorts? even if we claim it represents Yahweh, as the golden calves were set up to be representations as well. Do we reject any of his words and follow man-made doctrine instead? 
even when it contradicts what Yahweh instructs? How do we excuse that? Saying we heard it was okay to do it this way from someone else that we trust, or saying that everyone else is doing it so it must be fine, or claiming to be following our heart? We've seen examples of each of these excuses play out in the Bible, and none of them ended well. The father considers that to be adultery towards him. Also, what other ways could we be abusing his name or even using it in vain? In our time, we often think of saying the word God, which is his title and not his actual name, in a flippant fashion covers this. And so all we have to do is avoid that and we're good. But what about misrepresenting him? What about living under the banner of his name while encouraging folks not to read or study his word through our actions or words, or encouraging others to disregard even the smallest portion of it? What about claiming to be teaching his word while actually teaching doctrine that contradicts what Yahweh says? Definitely something to think about and examine in ourselves. Jeremiah 32.37 In this passage, Yahweh says that he will gather his people from all the countries to which he drove them and restore them once more. It reads, They shall be my people and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me forever, for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts, that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good, and I will plant them in the land of faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. We see clear references to the new covenant, which we read about in Jeremiah 31, 31 in this. But I want to pause and point out something else. This is one of many verses we've seen and will continue to see in which Yahweh mentions bringing his people, Israel, back from all corners of the world. For more verses on this, I have a list of over 26 verses below for you to check out. And there's more where that came from. Then again, we see Messiah saying in Matthew 15, 24, that he was only sent for the lost sheep of Israel. How is it possible that people can believe that Yahweh has replaced his chosen people Israel with another? Or that he forever rejected Israel in lieu of anyone else? rather than grafting us into that tree of chosen people, as he's shown us in Scripture time and again. And in Jeremiah 32, 40, he even says that he will make an everlasting covenant with them. So, in order to believe that Yahweh has replaced Israel with another people, we have to be able to believe that A, he doesn't know what everlasting means, and B, his word cannot be trusted. Both of those are obviously false, and I know of no Christian who would ever agree with either statement. But, if we haven't read our Bible and seen with our own eyes what Yahweh said, we could easily be led to agree with replacement theology without realizing the consequences of what that means. That supporting such is supporting the belief that Yahweh could not foretell the future, does not know what everlasting and eternal means, and that he willfully lied to his chosen people. This is another reason why it is so important to read the word for ourselves. We are responsible for knowing the word and ignorance due to lack of interest, lack of dedication, poor or faulty leadership, or lack of concern will not exempt us. So, when someone gives you a verse, always take a chapter, or better yet, a whole book, or better yet, 
Just start reading the Bible through the beginning at the beginning, Genesis, in order to get the whole picture of what Yahweh intended his followers to know. In Jeremiah 33.3, we see a loving reminder that the Father always has more to reveal to us. We can always grow ever closer to Him and learn more of His ways. I could not love that more. Jeremiah 33 verse 7 further reiterates that Yahweh has not abandoned Israel. It reads, I will restore the fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel and rebuild them as they were at first. I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me, and I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. Do we believe what he says? Do we believe that Yahweh's word is always truth? I sure do. And so, I want to read it. Know it. Have him write it on my heart. Isn't this exciting? Now, at the end of 34, we read this piece of scripture. Jeremiah thirty-four eighteen. And the men who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me, I will make them like the calf that they cut in two and pass between its parts. You may be asking, what on earth are they talking about? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) So there are many places in scripture where if we look to understand the culture of the time, we can have a much greater understanding of the word and what is actually taking place. Just like how we talked about why Jeremiah's cousin came to sell him his land. It's vitally important that we understand that the Hebrew mindset does not work like our modern Western mindset. What took place in Jeremiah 34, 18 was part of an ancient practice of making a covenant. Whenever a covenant was made between two parties, an animal or animals were cut in two and spread out side by side with room to walk in between them. Both parties would then walk between the animal parts to signify their acceptance of the terms of the covenant. It is widely believed that this is where the phrase cutting a deal or covenant came from. The semblance, some believe, is that those who would transgress the covenant would suffer the same fate as the animal. We see what may be proof to back this up in 1 Samuel 11.7. Also, We actually see Yahweh instructing Abraham to do this customary act in Genesis 15, but with a noted difference. While the custom was for both parties to walk down the middle in between the cut animal, in Genesis 15 verses 18 through 20, we see only Yahweh pass down the middle, not Abraham. Actually, we see smoke and fire pass down the center, and Abraham hears Yahweh's voice as he recites the terms of the covenant. Why didn't Abraham pass through as well? Because this was a unilateral covenant. There were no terms for Abraham to agree to. Yahweh was providing all, and Abraham didn't have a duty to perform in order to maintain or enter into this covenant. No doubt, this act of cutting a covenant held deep meaning for Abraham already, and he knew full well what it meant. But when the father did not expect or ask Abraham to pass through himself, And when he himself passed through, we can be certain Abraham understood the eternal significance of this. So now we see that Jeremiah 34, 18 is saying that these men freely entered into a covenant with Yahweh, knowing and accepting the terms by their actions, and then did not keep them. There is a lot to digest in today's readings, as we're given many more pieces to the overall picture that we've been reading about all the way back from Genesis. I hope you're enjoying learning at the feet of our Father. His Word is alive, living and breathing, 
and what a tremendous blessing that he gifted us with such a treasure of his wisdom and the ability to know him through these words. And now, one last thought. After our notes yesterday and laying out the parameters of the new covenant and what it entails, here's something for us to think on today. If you are a parent, how do you feel when your kids obey you? How would you feel if someone they spend a lot of time with managed to convince them that obeying you was a bad thing? Test everything. Hold tight to what is good. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 We are saved by grace alone. Obedience is not the root of our salvation, but it is the fruit. May Yahweh bless the reading of His Word. I love y'all. Bye-bye.